So this evening is reflection on Dhamma, the way it is. <clears throat> so it's interesting to use this word Dhamma. Reality, you could just define it as with the English word reality or the way it is. At this moment, it's like this. So just observe, every one of you, the state of mind you're in. You, you're aware what you're feeling at this moment. So this is consciousness, the reality of consciousness here and now, aware, uh, say your personal feeling, your mood or state of mind is like this. You're sitting, the posture is like this. The breath is like this. These are all here and now conditions that we can be aware of, mindful of, here and now. This is so close, so immediate, you know, it's like when we think of Dharma, sometimes the word itself being a Pali word is like, you know, it's something remote or ethereal or some kind of mystic energy in the universe, cosmic force or ultimate reality. And that's the thinking mind. It's trying to to create an image of what you can't imagine. You can't image, you can't imagine the Dhamma. But the reality of right now is like this. So you observe, there's this awareness of, say, the state of mind, the mood, whatever it is, pleasant or unpleasant, This is consciousness. This is conscious awareness, mindfulness that we use all the time. It's not something, you know, people are trying to become mindful. You hear people talking about becoming more mindful, trying to be mindful, practicing mindfulness. So it's always like something to do, to be mindful, you have to do something, which creates this sense of I'm somebody who's not mindful, who has to cultivate mindfulness and become mindful. So this is how we see ourselves. This is Sakya Ditti, the self-view, that I'm this body, this person who needs to become mindful, develop mindfulness, cultivate mindfulness, but actually, we're mindful all the time. Not something you have to do, it's something you really are. <clears throat> At this very moment. Mindfulness is a the word of the time, you know, there's my courses in mindfulness and YouTube has all kinds of programs on mindfulness. Mindfulness is the word of the day. <clears throat> and of course, I think this is of good 
you know, uh, something skillful to bring this, what is mindfulness? You know, what do we mean by the word? It's a common enough English word. When I first arrived in England in 1977, it was just, you know, be mindful when you cross the street. That kind of, you know, so it, your mother tells you when you're a child, when you cross the street, be mindful, look to the right, look to the left. So, you know, this is how we see mindfulness is, is looking at something, especially in dangerous situations where you're physically in danger, you have to be mindful when you're climbing Mount Everest. You have to, you can't worry or be concerned about anything. You've got to be mindful of the dangers and the survival mechanisms. So dangerous life situations, we're automatically mindful. You know, it's a, it's, if we were never mindful, we would have died in early childhood. So when I say mindfulness is what you really are, then you don't have to do it, it's just recognize, you're mindful of, of an object, you go and gaze at something, like with samatha practices, you, you're mindful of a candle flame, of a casino, of the breath, you concentrate on one thing mindfully. And so we see mindfulness is always being aware of something, some object, some something out there, the object of seeing or hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking. And because we believe that we are the, the human body, you know, we take for granted that, you know, what we're thinking, uh, our emotional habits, our ability to perceive objects, our opinions and views, our biases, prejudices, our language are all, you know, very personal. And we send out, we send our consciousness out to look at things or listen, smell, taste, touch. We get caught with our own thoughts. We believe we are our names, our gender, our appearance, our age. We, all these things are being challenged by the Buddha's emphasis on sati sampachanya, or mindfulness, or intuitive awareness. So it's not, you're not looking outward anymore, trying to see Dhamma or figure out Dhamma with your thinking mind or believe in it or dismiss it or whatever you, how you react to the concept, to the word itself. But you look inward, you observe. So we start usually basic meditation practices, teach anapanasati, mindfulness of the breath, you're still going out to the breath, you know, observing the natural breathing of the, of the body, which you don't create. You don't create your breath. Breath is a function, physiological function of the of the form. So, but you're coming closer. You're going inward. You're aware of the. Posture, sitting, standing, walking, lying down, you're aware of the, you know, sitting is like this, standing is like this, walking is like this, this lying down is like this, you're aware, it's like the, the way it is. So you're, you're, you're aware of that which is close, which is near, that you identify as yourself. All your views, opinions, thoughts, memories, mindfulness of memory, mindfulness of emotion, happiness, suffering. So you're, you're observing the world or the objects 
what, how we create objects, see ourselves, we divide ourselves by identifying with the form, the human form. The ego, we identify with the cultural conditioning, social conditioning that we receive. We identify with our thoughts. And that identity is what we call attachment or clinging. In Pali, you say upadana, clinging to sankharas. So these are, these are the Pali words that we use in Theravada Buddhism. So the word sankhara, we chant, we teach when we reflect. Sapa sankhara nicha, all conditions are impermanent. So, in everything, that means translated, everything is impermanent. Anichang is is the Pali word for impermanence. <clears throat> so we look outward, we see impermanence. We look inward, we see the breath is impermanent. The 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 physical body which was born grows up, gets old, and dies is impermanent. The the functions of seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching is impermanent. The sights that we see, the sounds that we hear, the smells that we smell. <clears throat> The t taste that we have when we eat food is like this. And you can't sustain any of it. It has no permanency. So this reflection on everything is impermanent. All conditions, conditions, things. Everything is impermanent. So we, t we can grasp that perception of everything is impermanent. Because it's in the scripture, the Buddha said this. But you notice everything, sapay sankara. Sankara is thing, or things, conditions, phenomena. It's all impermanent. And then we reflect what is aware of impermanence? Is it me? Is it me, I'm aware as a Ajahn Sumedho aware of impermanence. But the the name Ajahn Sumedho is impermanent. You can't sustain it for very long. You might believe in it as an ongoing belief pattern. You have, you know, see me as when I'm in Thailand, Ajahn Sumedho in Thailand, Ajahn Sumedho in Amaravati. This is conventional reality. But it's not Dhamma. It's not the way things really are. <clears throat> so awareness, mindfulness, satisampachanya, is aware when there's no sumato. That's here now. Right now there's no sumato. Even though you assume that this, this voice is for the Ajahn Tomato giving a Dhamma reflection, that's conventional reality, but Paramatta Satcha, or ultimate reality, I have to, you know, I realized long ago that to become Ajahn Tomato, I have to believe that I'm, I am this name all the time. When I'm asleep, when I'm bathing, when I'm eating food, when I'm giving talks, when I'm in Thailand, when I'm in Amravati, I'm a permanent Ajahn Sumedho. That's a belief. That's not the reality of awareness, mindfulness. Because it's a name, it's words. And words are impermanent. They're things, they're conditions, they're sankharas. So what is aware of sankhara? That's consciousness here and now. 
Consciousness is not Sankara. Then I'd ask myself, can one Sankara, can, can Ajahn Sumedho, this monk here, be aware of Sankara? Or is it consciousness that's aware of Sankara? So in the, when you take refuge, like you took the precepts this evening, when you say, Bhutang Sarnangachami, that's ceremonial. That's part of the Theravada ceremony of chanting Bhutang Sarnangachami. I take refuge in the Buddha. What do you really mean by that? What is the reality of taking refuge in the Buddha here and now? Is it just a traditional ceremony that we use? It can be seen as that, you know, this is what Buddhist, Theravada Buddhists do, is take refuge in the Buddha. But I'm doing this from the reflective state. If I take refuge, if there's taking refuge in the Buddha, what is it? An awareness, isn't it? Buddha is awakened, conscious awareness. So you suddenly internalize. Buddha isn't some historical sage of the past or some kind of cosmic force in the universe. It's what we take refuge in, mindfulness, aware of the way it is. So when I introduced this reflection for this evening, it was being aware of your mood, the state of mental state you're experiencing at this moment. is like this. And your posture is like this. Your breathing is like this. And Buddha knows ultimate reality, Dhamma. So Dhamma, Dhammang Sarnangachami, taking refuge in the Dhamma. What do you mean by that? You know, when you chant Dhammang Sarnangachami, is it, is it just a ceremony that you don't really, you know, you take it as some kind of belief system? You can believe in the Dhamma. You can believe it and kind of make it into an imagined force in the universe. But whatever you imagine, that's not, the Dhamma is not an image. You can't imagine, you can't form an image of Dhamma. But mindfulness is aware of Dhamma. So Dhamma, you know, is here and now. It's not something out there in the cosmos some metaphysical force in the universe. You see what I'm doing? I'm trying to bring your attention to the here and now and not not interpret it in personal terms. So this is this is a reflective ability that we have. And that the Buddha taught in his first uh, teaching after enlightenment, the Four Noble Truths. Sankang Sarnangatami, do you take refuge in the Bhikkhu Sangha, the Siladhara Sangha? Take refuge in a mystical Sangha? But when we chant about the Sangha, it's Supatipana, one who practices, who cultivates, who knows, knowing the way it is. All conditions are impermanent. And tamang, the anatta, all dhamma is non-self. So Dhamma is, doesn't belong to me or, you know, it's not my Dhamma or your Dhamma. Those, are, those would be Sankaras. 
Sankaras, they're dhammas. Because they're made out of consciousness. But they arise and cease. So they, you know, they, they come and go and change. And that's what we identify with, with the mortal conditions. And so even though the dhammas, you know, the, the physical body, the sense of self, the ego, the cultural conditioning, <clears throat> the thinking mind, the memory, It's puto knowing Dhamma, and it's Sangho, one who's practicing in the right way, in the true way, in the real way. So this is like internalizing Buddha Dhamma Sangha rather than just believing in the concepts or just chanting a, a beautiful ceremony. Ceremony is very nice, very beautiful. But it has much more profound meaning and use than just chanting it in Pali. You know, so this is like, reflect, what do we mean by Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha? What is it here and now? What is Buddha now, Dhamma now, Sangha now? Because one of, one of the qualities of the Dhamma is Akalika Dhamma, timeless. Akaliko. Timelessness. That's another word that you can't imagine. You can imagine here that this, is, this the present moment is like this. And, and But it goes into the future, the past. You can remember the past, what you did yesterday. You remember right now. Tomorrow is the possibilities of getting up in the morning, chanting, meditating, eating your meal. But the future is not a memory, but it's a sankara. It's still thinking, planning, hoping, dreading, fearing, expecting, wanting something that you don't have in the future. But there's really no future in reality, in ultimate reality. There's only the Pachubhanadhamma, the present moment, timelessness. So timeless Dhamma is awareness itself. It's not a mystery. And as we begin to, to pay attention, investigate, like the Buddhist teachings are all about investigating reality, investigating the way it is, not analyzing. Analyzing, you have to think, you have to, you don't reflect, you just think about the past and the future, yourself and the world with the thinking mind, the conditioned mind attaching to sankharas, you analyze, criticize, hope for the best in the future, dread possible failures. Memories of the past, you feel you feel inspired or happy or guilty about things you've done that you remember in the past. I remember when I was a new monk at Wapapong, you know, I didn't, I couldn't understand the desanas that Lumpa Cha was giving because I couldn't understand the language. But he insisted that I stay you know, during his five-hour-long days and us every evening, and get so bored and angry and frustrated and think you're wasting your time. 
this is a waste of time. I could be back in my cootie developing samadhi. Here I'm just frustrated, angry. And then I'd start thinking about the past. So I had thought about the happy things of the past. At least that was entertaining. But here I'm thinking about something of the past, childhood, entertaining myself with memories, or believing my emotions and, you know, either trying to suppress them, deny them, or believe in them. But it was Pachubanatama, Lumpacha was always pointing to, not in the future not in the past, it's like this. So when, when I say this phrase, it's like this, it's a reflective statement, it's not a description. It's not, you know, it's not preaching or defining or, or describing anything it's just it's just saying it's like this is a way of noticing right now the mood that i experience is like this and it helps you know for me it helps me to observe sometimes the mood's happy sometimes it isn't sometimes you know it changes So then you begin to recognize that your moods are sankharas, your beliefs are sankharas, your ego, your sense of personal identity with your physical body is a sankhara, your body's a sankhara, the temples are sankhara, everything is sankhara, all conditions, sape sankhara, anicca are impermanent. Then what isn't permanent? Here and now, Pachubanatama is consciousness. Because that's what we're all experiencing at this moment. Every one of us is conscious. Can we claim consciousness as personal? My consciousness, your consciousness. Then it's a, then consciousness is a sankara. We believe it, that my consciousness has to be different from your consciousness, or is consciousness here and now timeless? Akaliko. So it's very interesting. I've, consciousness is another word of the time because nobody really understands it. Scientists and psychologists are trying to figure it out. Is, it, is consciousness arise out of the matter? Is matter and then consciousness came out of rocks and earth? And... Uh, how did the universe form? Was it like a, the Big Bang of matter and then consciousness came after? That's one way of thinking. That's the materialist view of consciousness. <clears throat> when we identify with seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking, when we send consciousness outward to objects, like when your eye your physical eyes look at an object, like right now my eyes are looking at this microphone, consciousness arises, I say the microphone, or is consciousness always present? Does it arise and cease? But when we look outward, when we go outward to, to, the, to the objects of the senses, that kind of consciousness is impermanent. You can't sustain eye consciousness, ear consciousness, nose consciousness, tongue consciousness, thinking consciousness, emotional consciousness. 
because they're sankaras, they're they're impermanent. So in the scriptures, there's this statement the Buddha's quoted: "There is consciousness, invisible, infinite." Being splendor everywhere, no boundary, no limitation, non-personal. And that's what we begin to, to recognize through awareness. When you, when you investigate the nature of sankharas, you begin to see the suffering you're always creating through this ignorant, blind attachment to them. You begin to see that how you you're conditioned to suffer because you're always attaching to mortality of some sort, to change, to things that you can't keep or sustain or or own really. They they arise and cease, they change according to other conditions. How can you control the universe? The planet Earth, the climate the the world around so you only it, it sustains itself in a beautiful state a pleasant state forever and ever that's uh, you know like a fairy tale or a, a wish but that's not done with that's it's not the way it is but what sustains itself through all the thinking, emotion, memory, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, is consciousness. It's self-sustaining. So you, you don't have to look for it because you are that. You're that this knowing the way it is. But it's not personal knowing. It's not, it's not like I know and you don't. When I start thinking like that, that's creating sankharas and grasping them. Because consciousness is knowing. It's awareness knowing the way it is. So in the words like consciousness, mindfulness, they're the same thing, really. And consciousness is the ability to know it's like this. It's not a judgment. It's not defining anything. It's not criticizing anything or preferring one thing over another. It embraces everything. This moment, consciousness is one, is unitive. It's the same consciousness with different conditions. So what you're feeling right now is not exactly like what I'm feeling right now. But the awareness is non-personal. So it can't be my consciousness. It is consciousness invisible. You can't see it. Infinite, has no boundary. Being everywhere, it has, you know, there's no no boundary, no limitation. Non-personal. So that's here and now. Pachubana Dhamma, Akalika Dhamma.
like thinking, for example. We are very attached to ideas and beliefs. <clears throat> we might believe in Buddha Dhamma Sangha as our refuge. So you grasp the, the, the words or the images. We project, you know, sometimes you project onto Buddha Rupas, Buddha nature. We talk about the Buddha nature, some kind of, you know, special energy in the universe. There's ways of, of trying to conceive the inconceivable. We see ourselves as someone who, as somebody who isn't Buddha. You know, so we, we perceive ourselves, I'm not Buddha, I'm Ajahn Sumedho. I'm a Buddhist monk. And so I have a whole history. People very interested as I aged to get my biography, my life history. Because I'm not going to last that much longer. But I tell you, the more I mindful I am, the less I want to think about my past or remember. I'm no longer interested. I don't find my past interesting or, you know, they say it'd be inspiring, you know, 50, 52 years as a bhikkhu and uh, meditating and you've lived a very good life and it all sound, you know, make a good inspiring biography. But I don't find it interesting. I'm not, you know, I probably, you know, I don't have no intention to write it, but, you know, it's, it's convention and it might inspire, create faith, or encourage people to practice. Not just believe what I say or what the Buddha says, but to investigate, get to the root cause. And this is what's so attractive about Buddhism or Buddha Dhamma, isn't it? Is it? It's not about belief. You're not. You're not asked to believe in anything. In being Buddhist, you might believe in Buddha Dhamma Sangha, but as you're meditating, you become aware of that belief as as a concept that you've acquired. For those of you who come from Buddhist cultural backgrounds from Thailand or Sri Lanka or Cambodia wherever, you, you're culturally conditioned to be a Buddhist and believe in Buddhism. Which is a very, very good thing to believe in if you're going to believe. But belief itself is a sankhara. You know, you're, you're believing concepts, things you've acquired, knowledge you've acquired, cultural conditioning that, that you acquired after you're born. Some of it's very good, some of it isn't. But belief isn't about investigation, isn't getting to the cause of anything. And so, you know, we become aware of thinking. To believe in something, you have to think about it. Grasp the thinking process, where in mindfulness you're aware of thinking as a sankara. And that's really Buddha Dhamma Sangha. That's not just believing in Buddha Dhamma Sangha. So that's what attracted me when, when I discovered Buddhism. It didn't, wasn't promoting a doctrine. 
because I couldn't do it. I have a skeptical mind. A doubt, I'm a doubter, skeptic, by my, my kind of karmic inheritance. And being brought up as a Christian, you know, I couldn't believe it. Christian doctrine. When I started thinking about it or, you know, I started investigating it, I realized I didn't really believe in it. But in Buddhism, you know, you're not asked to believe. You, the Buddha expounded Four Noble Truths. You don't believe in Four Noble Truths. They're not um, doctrines that you have to believe in. Like the First Noble Truth of Suffering, it's just silly to believe in suffering because we suffer. A human, Every human being suffers. Whatever our station is in life, you know, whatever, whether <clears throat> at the top, the richest person in the world or the poorest, whatever race, nationality, past from Buddhist time to present moment, male, female, is it? Suffering is pretty much the same thing. You know, it's not people suffering in India 2,500 years ago. The suffering that that they had two thousand five hundred is exactly the same suffering that we observe in ourselves. The sense of being mortal and bound into a physical body that gets old, gets sick, and dies. Death is a is a frightening uh, perception in the mind. What happens when we die? You know, so we, we get asked a lot, what do you believe happens when somebody dies? And then, uh, you know, they think Buddhists believe in reincarnation, which is like you get reborn in some other form according to your merits and virtues if you accumulated in this life. I remember in Australia, years ago, to teach a retreat, at a Theosophical Society in Perth. And I found out that the Theosophical Society was split in those who believed that if you were human, you couldn't be reborn on a lower level, like being born as a frog. And there were others who believed that you could. So, and so this is a, these are the wars uh, the you know Protestants and Catholics and and even Buddhists, Theravadan Buddhists, Mahayana Buddhists will fight about beliefs. What do we know about death right now? None of us have died yet, but we all know that we will die. And so when people ask me, they say, "Ajahn Smedo, what happens when somebody dies?" I say, I don't know yet. I haven't died. But Lumpur Cha was, was, you know, he'd say, reincarnation is for the unenlightened masses, you know. So they they do good and refrain from doing evil, tumble and make a lot of merit because that's good to do. It's kusala dhamma, skillful way of living the life as a, human individual in society, do good, refrain from doing evil. So, you know, you in Thai temples, in, you often see pictures of hell realms, people that were alcoholics in some kind of state of misery, really gruesome pictures. People that commit adultery, climbing trees with barking dogs at their heels. Scary pictures of hell realms and deva realms. If you've been good, you get reborn into deva loka or brahma loka. I'm not denying any of this. I'm not saying it's wrong. But it is created images, isn't it? It's imagined. Hell right now. What is it? 
or heaven. You know, so these two extremes, heaven is the best, hell is the worst thing you can possibly think of at this moment, isn't it? Hell is the absolute pits of misery, despair, pain, and suffering. Heaven is the very best you can think. So you're aware that the thinking process, you know, can create images of heaven, images of hell, the best and the worst. But you can't create an image of Dhamma. But it's here and now, timeless, Ehi Pasiko, encouraging investigation. We translate Ehi Pasiko like encouraging. You suppose it's an invitation to find out for yourself. And the word Ehi, Pali, come and see for yourself. Don't just believe what I'm saying. So it's like an invitation. Come and see. Upanaika Dhamma. Looking inwards, you're no longer seeking Dhamma as some external thing that you find. It's not an object. But you're experiencing Dhamma is right now. It's consciousness, awareness. And we reflect on it, we begin to realize it through awareness, through mindfulness, which is Buddha, here and now. Buddha knows Dhamma, aware of Dhamma, of the way it is. So, in the Buddhist concept of rebirth, like in the dependent origination, rebirth is you know we can witness we can observe it in our in our own experience here and now whatever i attach to out of ignorance i'm reborn so if if i feel angry and i identify with it i'm reborn as a angry person that's rebirth that's reincarnation reincarnation's not really you know, it's it's more of a theory. Rebirth is reality. You can see it when you whatever you're attached to, you become that. You become what you attach to, and it's this puto, this awareness, that we begin to see what attachment is, the suffering we create through attaching blindly, ignorantly, not knowing dhamma following the momentum of habits, of thought, of cultural conditioning, belief systems, without question, we become what we attach to. That's rebirth. Jati, jara, marana, sokaparite, vatukatomanasa, it all ends up, rebirth ends up in old age, sickness, death, grief, sorrow, despair, and anguish. <clears throat> so what is it that is deathless at this moment, right now? You can't find it. You can't imagine deathlessness. Like Amaravati, the very name of this monastery, Deathless Realm. And I chose the name because in the 80s, when we moved here, 1984, there was a lot of fear in the British society that there's going to be a third world war. And the, the peace movement, the Americans were arming uh, Britain with cruise missiles. There was supposed to be a war between Soviet Union and the United States, and it might take place in Britain be the battlefield, Britain and Germany would be the battlefield for the Third World War. There was a strong peace movement, I remember. And you'd talk to teenagers that would come to Amravati and they'd 
say, you know, that what's the point? It's going to be annihilation anyway. A pretty dismal attitude in the 80s. Fear of the Soviet Union, the inevitable nuclear conflict that we imagine in the future. So I thought, what's missing here in Britain was the, the, even the concept of deathlessness. We are so bound to death conditions, to the physical body, to the, to the future, as, as when I die in the future, Third World War, we're all going to die in a nuclear holocaust, is, you know, is, is still being bound ignorantly bound to conditioned views, perceptions, ideas, images. Because the future is the unknown. Maybe there will be a nuclear holocaust. or I mean, anything's possible in the future. But the future, we don't know. Tomorrow you don't know. You assume you know that you'll do this, do that, you made plans, you have a schedule to follow, so you, you think you, you know tomorrow, but right now, at this moment, right now, the perception of tomorrow, I don't know. I remember what I, this morning, when I woke up, I remember eating the meal, so I probably will do that tomorrow, but I don't really know that at this moment. But there's knowing I don't know. So it's not a stupid kind of not knowing. It's an intelligent knowing the way it is. The future is the unknown. The past is a memory. Now is the knowing. So when I say Buddha is here and now, Dhamma is here and now, you can't claim it. You can't say I'm Buddha Dhamma Sangha. Claim thinking is a sankara. There's no way, you know, you see through all the identities that you assume or believe in. So what is it that knows now is consciousness aware mindfulness consciousness awareness dhamma here and now is like this Like Paticca Samupada, dependent origination, is very interesting. Like it always begins with ignorance, anita, uh, avicca is the Pali word for not. It's it's not by about being illiterate. It's about not knowing dhamma, identifying with the body and the cultural habits and conditions, memories and so forth, perceptions and senses, unquestioned identity and belief that, that I am these mortal conditions, that's a vicha, ignorance. It creates conditions sankaras. So out of the, the vicha, I say, I, I am Ajahn Sumato. As I say this on a conventional level or on a belief level, like the ignorance of each would be, I am Ajahn Sumato 24-7 all the time. 
that I'm always Ajahn Sumedho, every moment. But in further investigation, you realize that Ajahn Sumedho is a condition arising according to other conditions. Because I don't spend 24-7 thinking, uh, creating myself as Ajahn Sumedho and attaching to it. When there's no Ajahn Sumedho, there's still awareness. So Ajahn Sumedho is merely a convention. And that I've been a bhikkhu for 52 pansas is a convention. It's conventional reality, samut satcha. But baramatta satcha is there's no sameto. Fifty-two pansas is perception of memory. And say, I have fifty-two pansas. I believe I'm ajahn sameto permanently. Then I'm. I have fifty-two pansas, so I'm senior monk. <laughs> so we we create. The sense of, you know, our relationships according to Vinaya, according to form, according to convention, according to cultural identities. But all that is sankaras, you know, there. And so this is where I encourage you to observe, be the knower of sankara, be the puto, knowing sankara is impermanent. Not believing in impermanence, but witnessing it. Like the first noble truth is to understand suffering. So the Buddha chooses the most ordinary human experience. It's, you know, we're, we're all, we all uh, can relate to that. It's not special kind of suffering. It's not being specially persecuted and tortured by um, demons. It's just daily life suffering, worry, anxiety, the, the self-consciousness, timidity, fear, greed, anger, rage, jealousy, and we know, you know, when you feel angry, you know it. But you, you interpret it on a personal level. It's my anger, my greed, my fear. I, I own all these emotions. They're mine. I'm the jealous person. And, and so we, this is the ego, isn't it? This, this, uh, Sakya Diti, we, we make it into more than what it is. Because at this moment, whatever you're feeling, you didn't choose to feel this way. The conditions at this moment are such that the feeling, emotion that you're having, the mental state you're in is like this. When, when there's anger arising, usually conditions, for anger, you don't get angry except when the conditions for anger are there. So it's not your anger, it's not my anger, but it is anger and you, you, you know it, you're aware of it. it. Anger is a strong emotion. And we tend to blame it on others, you know, you made me angry, you insulted me, you don't appreciate me. You called me a bad name. You offended my sensitivity. You know, it's so easy to be, to be angry because life isn't always going to be what you want. So anger is a primal emotion. It's, it, you know, it's sexual desire is primal to the species. Anger is a, is a survival prime survival mechanism. Fear 
is primal, isn't it? It's not personal. It comes with being born in, into the human species. You have the greed, hatred, and delusion. <clears throat> Survival. What is sexual desire? It's for procreating the species. It's natural. But then we tend to identify with it. So people nowadays are strongly identified with sexual desire. You know, various tendencies and identifying with it in the, you know, heterosexual, homosexual, whatever, whatever tendencies we that are, are, that arise in consciousness, we identify with. But then, puto noin tamo is aware. Whatever, you know, sexual desire, whatever road it takes, it is something that arises and ceases. And that which is aware is not sexual desire, it's not personal. You begin to, to not claim sexual desire or judge it It, with your thinking mind, according to cultural conditioning, personal conditioning. It is what it is. And it's a prime, primal th condition of being born as a mammalian creature, as a human being. Anger, the same thing. Fear, jealousy, they're, they're kind of part of the mammalian condition. You know, animals get jealous. I've seen dogs get very jealous. Cats. I don't think goldfish get jealous. <laughs> but maybe they do, I don't know. <laughs> Who am I to to decide whether fish get jealous or not. But we certainly experience these emotions. Now the Sakya Ditti is making it into personal, it's very judgmental, like the ego, the thinking mind is about judgment. It's about this is right, this is wrong, this is kusla, this is a kusla, this is what you should be, shouldn't be, and heaven, hell, right? Um, good and bad, true and false. That's the thinking mind. It's all about, you know, we separate everything into what is right and what is wrong. And we do that with the, with our emotions. This is, anger's wrong. Jealousy is, how can I get rid of jealousy? How, fear, how, do, how can I conquer fear? These are common questions on meditation retreats. Because we identify rather than take refuge in puto awareness. Fear is like this. Anger is like this. Greed is like this. What is it that is aware of anger, isn't angry? I remember having a powerful insight into the fact that mindfulness never gets angry. Consciousness never is angry. But the condition, the mental state, the mind state that arises, is we call it anger, is like this. It's anicca, it's impermanent, it's suffering, it's anatta, it's not personal, it's not mine. So you, you're not trying, you're not suppressing anything, you're not denying or pretending or deceiving yourself, you're just recognizing things as they really are. Awareness, knowing, and what we can actually do in this human the limitation of our human condition is be aware in this way and realize the deathless, Amatatama.
Amravati. So it's not a belief in the deathless. It's knowing this this is it. Conscious awareness, apparent here and now timeless, encouraging investigation, leading inwards to be realized individually by the wise through wisdom. So I, now my interest to to encourage you. This reflection this evening is an attempt to encourage you, not to convert you or convince you of anything. But I try to present it as a reflective approach, because you don't. You know, when you when you even listen to Dharma talk from the self view, you know your critical mind can operate, and and uh, you believe in some things or you question others, but you're not aware. You know, you're you're not really consciously observing that you're you're agreeing with this or disagreeing with that. But awareness is aware of agreeing and disagreeing, their states of mind that arise and cease. So I offer this as a reflection for this evening.